0: Exodus 34, and we'd like to begin reading with verse 27. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, and the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word of God and for another opportunity that you have given that we might read your word and, and bring the message. And I pray, O oh God, that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding and wisdom, Lord, and help us to deliver the message in a way that will honor you. I pray God for added strength. I pray for clearness of thought and speech. And Lord, just use me for your glory. I pray you speak to my own heart and the hearts of each one that's gathered this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to bring a message on the Pentateuch tonight. And that word uh, means five. And it simply is referring to the first five books of the Bible. And uh, these books, of course, uh, were written by Moses. Now, there's some controversy uh, among some people of whether Moses really wrote these books or not, but there's ample evidence in the Word of God Jesus Christ himself attested to the authorship of Moses as well as many other writers in the Bible, and here God gave commandment to Moses to write down the commandments here. And uh, earlier in Exodus 17:14, uh, he told him to write it in the book. And Moses did that at the command of God. In fact, all the writers of the Bible were instructed by God himself and given the message that they wrote down uh, from the Lord. So the Bible is inspired Every word of it. We do not believe, as some, when I was, I can remember growing up in church and, and uh, hearing that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, you know, the writers of the Bible had different personalities and Peter had a different personality than Paul and, and uh, that the Lord just gave them a thought and they developed that thought according to their own personality. Well, I learned better than that. I don't believe that. I believe the Bible is God-breathed. I believe it is verbally inspired, which means that every word of the Bible is inspired by God. So God did more than just give a thought to men, and they developed that according to their different personalities. God gave them the very words to write. And uh, we who believe the Bible, we believe that, and we believe essentially it is the work of God that uh, man was simply the vessel that God used to pin down His Word. We also believe that God has preserved His Word for you and I, that when I read the Bible tonight, I am reading the very Word of God. And, uh, of course, that is, uh, you know, for the most part disbelieved in religious circles, but uh, I believe it is the very Word of God Himself inspired and preserved are you and I, and so these first five books are called the Pentateuch, and uh, whose author uh, was Moses, also called the Book of Books of the Law. And uh, in these books, uh, these first five books of the Bible, uh, we have man's fall, uh, we have man's redemption, uh, we have man's worship. His walk with God and his work for God, that's the essential themes that run throughout these uh, books here, uh, first five books of the Bible. Now certainly it had to be inspired of God because in the book of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now I'm convinced that Moses wasn't there to see it happen. Uh, So where did he get that information? In fact nobody else was around to see it happen Adam Adam and Eve were not around they didn't even see it happen so it had to be inspired of God that's the only explanation some of the things we read there in the book of Genesis had to come from God because God is the only one that could have known that because there was nobody, no no people around he created the earth and the heavens there and he, uh, the planets and the Sun the moon and all that and of course uh, you have the, the separation of the, uh, the air and the land from the water and the grass and the trees and all animals and the fish and the birds and all those things. When, when man got here, it was already done and completed. And uh, he saw none of it happen. So Moses had to receive it from God himself. Now the middle verse, at least I didn't count all these verses, but those evidently that have, uh, tell us that Leviticus eleven forty-two is the middle verse in these first five books of the Bible and uh, has to do with the law there and some of the, uh, the uh, prohibitions that God gave to Israel there and the middle word is belly. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And uh, he's talking there that uh, animals that go on their crawl on their belly, you're not supposed to eat them. Now, they tell me that rattlesnake meat is a delicacy, that you can have my part. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think I could handle that. But uh, anyway, uh, the, the prohibition there was for Israel, and, and uh, they were not to partake of that particular kind of, uh, of meat, anything that uh, crawled around on its belly. And so uh, uh, we like just to look broadly at, uh, at these books, and, and I think we, how we see the message uh, for God's people in these first five books of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, of course, we have the beginning, uh, but we also have the sin of man and where man went wrong. And in Genesis chapter 3, you have the devil coming to Eve there and and deceiving the Bible said the woman was deceived. Adam went into it with his eyes open. And that's why the Bible said, For as by one man sin entered into the world. He didn't say by one woman. And I know the woman... Uh, was the first one that sinned, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he did eat. But the Bible said in Timothy that the woman was deceived. And the devil deceived her and said, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Uh, You know, that good and evil, that was a responsibility that God had taken on behalf of man for man's own benefit because God knew the devil to be coming around, see? He knew that. And God did not give that responsibility to man. But uh, the devil comes and deceives the woman and into thinking that God had withheld something from her that, uh, that she deserved to have. And he deceived her. And many people fall into sin because they, they think God is withholding something from them. That's the, that's the reason for a lot of the uh, the Im- immorality that takes place. God forbids it. And I preached to in the chapel service this week along that line. God said it's good for a man not to touch a woman. God says keep your hands all to yourself. People say, well, that's kind of a tough prohibition, isn't it? And very few would believe that today. It certainly would practice it. But that's what God says. In First Corinthians chapter seven, and God said, "You're to wait to marriage." And people, they think that uh, that's kind of a hard rule, and and they disobey God, and they enter into immorality before marriage. And when a person does that, they will they will come up, uh, uh, you know, on the losing side. If a person will obey the commandments of God and, and wait until marriage as God has, has instructed, they'll be glad. God doesn't say those things because he, he has something against us. He's doing that for our benefit and for man's own well-being. Just like in, he said, don't take other forbidden fruit. God, uh, God was interested in man's welfare. But you know the story, the sin came and, and uh, uh, you say, how bad is sin? You know, when I think of the, the Bible said that one reason, the book of Romans, one reason the law was given, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. That we might have an understanding of, the, of how bad sin is. How bad is sin? Nearly 6,000 years later, people are still dying. Hospitals all across this country and around the world, nursing homes and funeral homes. and All they, all Eve did was dis- disobey God one time. All Adam and Eve did. Just one disobedient act to God. And here we are. The Bible said fools make a mock sin. Sin's an awful thing. It's a terrible thing. And well, to do our best not to sin. But man went wrong in the garden. And God said, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Did he die? Well, he died spiritually. And would have died physically. I believe, I believe Adam and Eve would have died physically that day and went to hell. That very day, you know why they didn't die? Because God comes along and clothes them with coats of skin, gives the gospel to them there, the promise of the Redeemer in Genesis 3.15, kills the animal, clothes them with coats of skin, and basically saying, you're not going to have to die because I'm going to die for you. That's why Adam and Eve didn't die and go to hell that very day. And that's why, we're, that's why we don't die and go to hell, because Jesus Christ died in their place. But uh, they eventually did die physically. But I believe Adam and Eve are in heaven. I believe they were saved. Yeah, I believe that. I believe Abel's in heaven. Cain killed him. He had faith in the promise of God. He believed in the blood. He believed in the substitute. And on down through the Bible... But man went wrong. And in the Bible, you have the book of Genesis, the book of beginning, the beginning of life, but it is also a book of death. And the first death is in the book of Genesis. Cain kills his brother Abel. The first man that's ever born after the sin is a murderer and went to hell without getting saved. Cain. Eve thought she had brought forth the Messiah. But he proved to be a child of the devil. He was that wicked one, the Bible says. And then in Genesis chapter 5, eight times it said, and he died. And Methuselah, he lived 969 years, but he died too. And they all died. He lived longer than anyone else. And the reason he lived longer, his name means when he he is gone, then it shall come. And if you, if you study that out, the year he died, when he died, the flood came. He was a testimony to them. And then in Genesis 50 and verse 26, I want you to look at that and, we, and look how it ends. In Genesis 50 and verse 26, so Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in egypt what a sad ending a book that begins with god created a book that began several times in genesis 1 and 2 and it said that god looked on that that he had made and he said it was very good that garden of eden was more beautiful beyond description how would you like to live there someone said there was no worms in the apples Everything was just perfect. No bugs eating everything up. The weather is just right. I mean everything. God said it's very good. It begins in a beautiful garden and ends in a coffin. What a tragic end. What an awful end. That's what sin does. It's cursed every last one of us. Not a family here tonight, but what's been cursed by sin. You can take me to a cemetery somewhere where the curse of sin and death has claimed one of yours. Man went wrong, didn't he? He went bad wrong. That happened in the book of Genesis, but thank God it don't end there. You come to the book of Exodus and you have the washing. The book of Exodus is a book of redemption and it's a story of how God raised up Moses there from a child. They saw he was a proper child. He was different. He is handsome. He's a pretty, pretty child. Now some babies are just, you know, don't get mad at me, but you know, some babies are just ugly. Now they're precious and all that. But many of them, they don't have any hair. You know, they don't have any teeth. <laughs> and, and, uh, but I'll tell you, uh, Moses, of course, every, every mother thinks hers is the prettiest that's ever, ever been born, you know, and, and that's, that's all right. But I, I can't, you know, and mothers, they can tell. They, they say, this baby you know don't you think this baby looks like it's don't you think this baby looks like his dad and every baby i've ever seen look looked alike to me uh they're they're somewhat different but i can't tell the difference i can't compare them well the baby looks like it's mother and the baby now mothers they can tell all that stuff but they all look alike to me i can't tell they get once they get a little age get some hair and some teeth and and start wanting to run around like yeah it looks like his daddy or his mama Uh. But Moses was a beautiful baby. Josephus talks about his, his beauty. Josephus not inspired. He was a historian. But, uh, but he talks about Moses and about how handsome. He said he was so handsome that when he would walk down the street that the people would look at him until, until he went out of sight. They, he, he, he was such a handsome that's what he says. The Bible said he was a proper child. So evidently he was unusual. And you know the story of how that he God supernaturally preserved him there, how that he was putting a little ark in, in the Nile there, and Pharaoh's daughter comes and hears the baby cry and takes the baby. Oh, this is one of the he and of course the commandment had been given to drown the boy babies. And she looked at that child and of course God was in all this and that little baby ain't going to be drowned and sister, you know, gets the mother for the nurse and all this. A wonderful, wonderful story there. And Moses grows up in the palace but refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and at 40 years of age he has to flee to the desert then 40 years later he comes back to deliver Israel. And how God used, prepared to deliver and he's a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus and our Redeemer. God was painting them a picture. That's what God was doing. He was giving them the gospel. The redemption that God would provide would be greater than their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And they were down there, of course, crying out to God for deliverance. You know, someone, I think one of the students studying in the Old Testament survey and, uh, and they asked me the question, you know, the Bible The Bible said they were there 430 years. Another place, God told Abraham, said they'll be there 400 years. Now, why did they spend 430 years? And some have problems. You know, they say, oh, the Bible contradicts itself. No. When Moses came to years, he saw an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew and he killed him. And then he saw the two Hebrews fighting and he said... We are a brother, you shouldn't do this. And they said, who made you a ruler? Who who gave you the authority to tell us what to do? You you're you're Egyptian anyway. You're not a real Hebrew. And they rejected God's prepared deliver, and they spent they spent 40 more years. So, anyway, God prepares Moses over there. He goes just like Jesus, he's a type of Christ. Christ comes, you know, and the Jews says, we'll not don't, we don't have this man to reign over us. We're not going to have you. So he went back to heaven, and what's he doing? He's, he's getting him a Gentile bride. He's calling out the church. And when he gets his bride ready, he's coming back. That's what Moses done. He went over in the desert, got him a bride, and he went back. God sent the same Moses, not a different person, same man that they had rejected 40 years earlier, And when he goes back the second time, they're glad to see him. And that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back the second time. The Jews are going to receive him. They look at the holes in his hand and the wounds and they're going to say, "This is." the Bible said Zechariah, they'll mourn and weep for him and they'll accept him. And God sends Moses down there and he begins to perform all those, God performs all those miracles through him. And uh, finally, of course, They're set free, but God redeems them from the plagues. If you read the story there in the book of Exodus, the plagues do not affect the Israelites, the darkness. It's dark in Egypt, but it isn't dark where they're at. The grasshoppers come, and and the lice comes, and and, uh, all the other things come, but it doesn't come to Israel. The hail comes, but it don't come on Israel. You know, isn't it so wonderful to be saved? (laughs) You read the Bible and you read about all that's coming, but it's not going to come on us. (laughs) That's why I don't believe we're going, the the, the, the plagues in Egypt is a picture of the tribulation. In fact, I think those same plagues that happened there will be repeating the tribulation, but they didn't affect God's people and they're not going to affect us because we're going to be gone in the rapture. Wonderful type. See, God's painting, them a, God's painting them a story, a picture of future events. And, of course, he redeems them from the death of the firstborn. And the thing that redeems them is the blood. He said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over, so take the lamb, put it up from the 10th, 14th, day of the month, make sure it's, it typifies Christ, no blemishes, Mail the first year, I mean, make sure... You know, it's the right right one and all that. Kill it. Put the blood on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. You'll be safe. That's what makes us safe. That's the only thing that makes us safe is the blood. And the Lord passed over them that night. And that night they went out of Egypt. God redeemed them by blood. He redeems us by blood. And they went out of Egypt. Then they got to the Red Sea. Nowhere to go, Pharaoh's army behind them, but God performed a miracle, opened up the sea, and they went across on dry ground. They didn't wade the mud. (laughs) There's a kicking up dust (laughs) when they went across. You know, in my mind, I'd always visualize just an area maybe as wide as this building. And I was reading someone, you know, engineered, did all the calculations, told about how many days and weeks it'd take if it was only that wide. There's about three million of them, somewhere there about probably. And how many, how, I mean, you're talking about a crowd of people. Man, can you imagine a million people? Some of these football and baseball games, they'll have 50,000 or something like that. And it looks like everybody in the world is there. Can you imagine two or three million? I mean, you don't, you don't march them through a little a narrow hallway. It'd take you a while. And it talked about how, how wide it had to be for them to get across in one night. I mean, when God blowed that thing back, he didn't blow a little narrow passageway. I mean, he blew it probably, uh, I can't remember the statistics on that. I've got it somewhere. And... Uh, uh, you know, it is. Uh, I believe the article talked about is uh, several mile wide where they went across there. I mean, the Lord did some more miracle, and they went across. God redeemed them and drowned the Egyptians that were pursuing them. Then He redeems them from thirst and starvation there in the wilderness. They get out there and there's no water, but God. Strikes the, tells Moses, strike the rock. And listen, they want a little, you know, turn the faucet on. Everybody goes up and gets them a cup. Can you imagine everybody with a cup up there? Two or three million of them lined up getting them a cup of water. They want many of them and got water. The rest of them have been dead before they got up there. I mean, when that water came out, you talk about a gusher. Probably a river coming out of that rock. You know, when you read about that miracle, at first it you, you don't it don't kind of you don't see the greatness of it. Then you get to stay a little more. You say, "Man, what a God! <laughs> you can't explain. You can't. People try to explain it scientifically. You can't explain that scientifically. That many people." That was a miracle. That a miracle. It had to be. And God sending that manna there. I mean, the train loads and all it must have took. Uh, amazing. But God performed a great miracle there. He redeemed me from the enemies. The book of Exodus, a wonderful book, and, and it's a book of, of redemption. Man goes wrong in Genesis, but God says he can be washed and redeemed and set free and delivered from bondage of sin and slavery. And uh, what a blessing. Then you come to Leviticus. Aren't you glad I'm not preaching the whole Bible tonight? (laughs) You come to Leviticus, and the book of Leviticus is a book of worship and a theme in Leviticus is how to worship God. Man's been wrong. He's a sinner, but he's washed now. And how can man approach God in worship? I'm persuaded that the average person that goes to church never worships because they don't know how to worship. But God wants us to worship. Book of Leviticus is the only book of the five. This is interesting, I learned. No other Hebrew word for Lord is used except Jehovah. Mentioned 305 times. Every time, every time Leviticus uses Lord to refers to God, it's always Jehovah, the personal name of God. I thought that was interesting. And when you find Lord in all capital letters and find God in all capital letters, it's referred to Jehovah, the personal name of God, the self-existent one. In uh, Genesis, Jews 204 times. In Exodus, 388 times. In Numbers, 393 times. In Deuteronomy, 545 times. So God wants us to know his name, but in Leviticus, when he talks about worship, it's Jehovah. And it's personal, the personal name of God. You know, you can have a personal fellowship with the Lord. That's what God wants us to know. You can know him personally. Not just know about him, not know him as the creator, know him as the triune God, but God says you can know me personally. Just like you'd, you'd know your brother or your sister even better than that. Now that's the kind of fellowship that God wants to have with us. He's revealed himself by his personal name. Now, when you can call a person by the first name, you know, you have a pretty personal relationship usually. And he tells us how to worship God. Now, in the book of Leviticus, you have the tabernacle and the offerings and the feast days and all of that. And and he was given to Israel uh, how to worship God, how to approach God. And in the tabernacle, when you, in the, when you went in the gate, the first thing that came was the brazen altar. And the brazen altar was where they sacrif- burnt the animals, and it was out there in the courtyard where, where they made the sacrifices to God, and it's a picture of the cross. And, and you can't worship God unless you go by the cross. You've got to get saved. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so that's, that's where you start. You have to go by the cross. You have to get saved. An unsaved man can't worship God because he's, uh, he's an enmity with God, he's an enemy of God, and he can't worship. That's where you go is the brazen. And then after you went to the brazen altar, you went on down the courtyard there, and there was a, a laver there and had water in it. Brazen laver there and it had water in it. And every time the priest went back there uh, in the holy place, he stopped there and washed his hands and his feet. Now, when you do wrong, he's out there serving, his feet get dusty, his hands get dirty, and uh, uh, it's a picture of our daily cleansing. When you do wrong, when you get saved, you only get saved one time. God's never saved anybody twice. No one has ever been saved twice. Nobody. Some may have thought they, they needed it. <laughs> so when you do wrong, you don't have to get saved again, but you do need to ask the forgiveness of God and get the daily cleansing of sin. And the Lord Jesus illustrated that at the feet washing. And he washed the disciples' feet, and, and he comes to Peter, and Peter says, you're not washing my feet. The Lord said, if I don't wash, you have no part now some misunderstand, they say, they, well, you, you can't go to heaven. The Lord not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about fellowship. And Peter says, well, well, wash me all over then. And the Lord said, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. You know, if you've, if you've already had a bath, you don't, you don't need a bath again, but you've walked from the, the bathing place to here and your feet's dusty and your hands and need, need to wash your f- dust off your feet. And what, it was, what the Lord was teaching uh, was the need of daily cleansing that we might fellowship with Him. So that's the picture. And uh, uh, you can't worship God if you've got sin. If you come to church, you've got to be saved. And then second of all, you've got to be have your sins confessed or you can't worship And then when you went in the holy place, on the left side was the the candlestick uh, that gave light and the picture of you've got to walk in the light of God, the light of his word. On the right was the table of showbread, a picture of the word of God, and right before the veil was the golden altar of incense where the priest offered the incense and the prayers of the people. And, uh, you know, why do we do what we do? Why do we preach? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we have Sunday school? Why do we teach the Bible? Why do we pray? Because that's the way you worship God. And when you pray, you talk to God, and when you hear the Word, God talks to you. God answers prayer sometimes through the message. He convicts us of sin. That's why you shouldn't miss church. Some people miss the answer to the prayer. I've had people tell me, They'd say, you know, I was thinking, I was wondering about that this very week. And now, it's strange that you said something about it. And that's why sometimes if I get off the subject, it used to bother me a lot, but it don't bother me as much as anymore. If I get completely off the subject, you know, if it's the Lord, uh, I, there's a reason for me saying that probably. May, maybe someone's wondering about that and needs an answer. <laughs> So, he tells us how to worship. And uh, there's a whole lot more in that book. and We're not going to go into all the details of it. book of Leviticus, a wonderful book. Kind of a difficult book to understand. But there's some great truth there. Then, the book of Numbers has to do with our walk. The Bible said Enoch walked with God. Now, Numbers, Israel gets up to Kadesh Barnea. They send the spies in. The 12 spies come back. They say, it's everything God said it was. Oh, it's a land flowing of milk and honey. It's the most beautiful place that we've ever laid eyes on. And they brought back a bunch of grapes. You know, it's hard for me to comprehend that. The Bible said they put it on a stick and put it between two men. A bunch of grapes, cluster of grapes. I like seeing that grapevine. <laughs> can you imagine that? And that's after the curse. <laughs> they said it's it's wonderful, but there's giants up there. And they so big. We look like grasshoppers in the side of them. We never seen people that big in all of their life. It says we ain't hey, hey, no way we can go against the people that big. They're, we don't have a chance. Now, they'd forgotten all God done for them. They'd already forgotten about the redemption of God, the redemption of God out of Egypt, opening the Red Sea, giving them water, feeding them with manna. They'd forgot forgot about all that stuff, evidently. And how soon we forget what God's done for us. How quickly sometimes we forget about the blessings of God and all the Lord has done for us and, and we begin to doubt and fret and worry. Joshua and Caleb, they said God, God said we could have it. It doesn't make a difference how big they are. Yeah, there's giants up there, but God's bigger than the giants. Let's go get it. But the majority prevailed, as they usually did. do, and the majority isn't always right. In fact, you read the Bible, the majority is seldom right. But you know the story. For 38 more years, they wandered in the wilderness, and I used to think when I was growing up in Sunday school, I thought I don't know why did you? What about you? I thought the wilderness was a jungle, and I could just picture in my mind, you know, them crawling trying to get through the jungle. <laughs> and uh, when well, uh, when I went to Israel, it's not a jungle; it's a desert. <laughs> no water, nothing. This is an old burning hot desert. And for thirty-eight years, how would you like to be in a place where there's no water, no food? no trees, nothing but just sand and rocks. Back in the war with Iraq, you've got an idea of it. I mean, nothing but this old hot sun burning up in the daytime and freezing at night. How'd you like to be in a place like that for 40 years? When you could have been over there eating some of them grapes. <laughs> You'd begin over there in the promised land. Now, there's uh, many spiritual lessons in that. That's about where we are spiritually. (laughs) Spiritually, you know, in a dry land, no water, no food. God, Listen, God's got something better for us. But I want to tell you something. After 38 years and all, listen, from 20 years old enough, they said, why, they'll kill us all. Let's go back to Egypt. We'll all die. God says, you're all going to die. That's right. And your children, you say, it's going to be a prey. I'm going to take them in. And God trained a new generation. And if we don't serve God, God will raise up someone that will. I know Brother Payne's talked like talk in, in Sunday school in, in the adult two class that we ought to be setting the example. We ought to be the spiritual leaders. But in the case of Israel, they, the, they were the problem. And God moved them out of the way. God let all them die and raised up another generation. But I want to tell you something. After 40 years, they learned to walk with God. It took a, took a, a, a whole lot. But they learned how to walk with God in that book. The Lord said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men in Matthew 4, 19. And 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice, and the hearken than the fat of rams. And 2 Timothy 2, 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, that shall be able to teach others also. God wants us to walk with him and learn how to walk with God. Now, I don't want to have to spend 40 years in the wilderness to learn that. And then in Deuteronomy, It has to do with their work for God. And in that book, you have the rules and regulations. You have a new generation coming along. All those old ones from 20 years old and upward, they're all dead. You know what God did? The Bible said their shoes didn't wear out and the clothes didn't wax old on them. The garments didn't wax old. How'd you like to have a pair of shoes that lasted for 40 years? You say, oh, that'd be a curse. That wouldn't be a blessing. I had to wear the same pair of shoes. Brother Payne talked about that in Sunday school this morning. A time in his life said I had one pair of shoes. I wore them to church, I wore them to work, I wore them wherever I went. I had one pair of shoes. I've heard my dad say, we got, says, we got one pair of shoes. They called them brogans. They weren't interested in how they looked. They was interested in how long they'd last. And they got one pair a year. And when it got warm enough to go barefooted, they didn't wear shoes, because if they did, they'd, they'd wear out for the years out. Now, we, listen, we have a generation now that that, that that has no idea of what it means to sacrifice. If they can't have everything just right, they're complaining and grumbling and griping and some of us adults are as bad. And we've forgotten, we've forgotten where God brought us from. But they had... God gave them a pair of shoes that didn't last for you year. forty years. How'd you ladies like to wear the same old pair of shoes for forty years? You not me. I want to match my outfit? I've got to have a different pair now to match every outfit. <laughs> uh, these retailers, boy, they uh, they know how you know how to prey on folks' stuff. And the same, the clothes didn't get old. same, same outfit for forty years. Now I guess, I, you know, I guess they washed them. I don't, I don't know what they done, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know how they, how that. But I'd say a forty-year-old shoe would be stinking pretty bad. Uh, of course, it's kind of hot, <laughs> kind of hot and dry in that, uh, in that area. So maybe, maybe that didn't want a problem. But they went to work for God. Now the lesson. God, uh, uh, Moses—they've come to the end of the forty-year journey. They come up again now to go in the Promised Land. Uh, new generation, kids all grown up, all others dead, gone. And Moses—he's got—he's got a different crowd. So the Book of Deuteronomy—you have some of the same things repeated because the Book of Deuteronomy is going over the law, giving them the law, going over the rules and the regulations that God had initially given uh, to Moses 40 years earlier. And Moses himself didn't get to go in, so he communicates all this and, and Joshua comes up and he's the new leader and they go in and they take the land. Now, there's a great spiritual lesson. I hope you've not missed it. In Genesis, man goes wrong. In Exodus man gets redeemed. After he gets redeemed, he needs to worship God, don't he? Leviticus tells him how to worship God. And then, in Numbers, God teaches them how to walk with God. Not just worship God on the feast days and and on the Sabbath day, but God teaches man how to walk with God every day. And When we come to church want to be able to go out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and learn how to walk with God out there, and then when we've done that, after we redeemed, after we worship, after we are walking with God, then you can work for God. Then don't you get the picture? Not much work for God going on this. 'Cause we bogged down back back in Leviticus or back in Numbers somewhere we out there in the desert wandering around trying to find the promised land, you know. we out there trying to find some water and trying to survive the desert. Hadn't never learned how to worship God. Come to church and come to church and never worship. And then we go out in the world and can't work for God, we don't know how. We're not equipped. not walking with God, if you don't live right, you don't have any testimony, do you? man who don't live right, does he have any testimony to the world? No. man works in the plant. Every little thing that happens, they're blowing up and pitching a fit and screaming and hollering. That man don't have no, he's going to get nobody saved not have no testimony. That man needs to learn how to walk with God. Then, you can work for the Lord. So as you read these books, God's dealing with Israel and the nation of Israel primarily in these books, but the application is there, I think, and the lessons are there. First Corinthians 9.25 said, Every man that strive for the master is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible. We have a certainly a greater thing to work for. If we could only understand that, if I could get folks to understand that, if I could comprehend it myself as I ought to. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. They've got this, the, you know, the uh, baseball now, who's going to win the World Series and who's going to be the best team in the country, and that's a big thing. And boy, that's really important, and millions and some of them ball players make millions of dollars, you know, for doing what they do. God says what you're working for is a whole lot more important than that. That's a corruptible crown. God said you have an incorruptible crown. If If we could just see beyond this world system, if we could see the other side, Come next Sunday, you couldn't, couldn't even get in the building here. Come Thursday night, there won't be enough parking space if all the people want to go try to win someone to Christ. But we can't see, someone said they can't see farther than the nose on their face. <laughs> Spiritually, that's about right. Uh, we, we can't see the incorruptible crown that God has for us. Bless bow our head.